They seek him here, they seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? That damned elusive Pimpernel. motion picture Red Shoes has Baroness Orxy's immortal character, the Scarlet Pimpernel. finger on it. The League of the Scarlet Pimpernel suddenly ran into a streak of bad fortune. Our rescues went amiss each time we ventured into France, and even our escapes back to England were coming close to failure. The last had been particularly bad, and although Tony Dewhurst and I, along with other members of the League, attended parties as usual in London, we were not in a party mood. Oh, what a bore. I know, Tony. But if we weren't here, people might wonder. Well, nobody's having a good time, except Coolstead. Well, where is he? Haven't seen him about. Uh, he's in the game room with Lord Driscoll and a few others. Gambling? Yes, hazard. The stakes, the last time I peeked in, were rather high and going up. Mm. Comstead winning? Of course not. Has he ever? He's out more than 2,000 guineas. Whew. I had the impression that he was rather short of funds lately. Well, he isn't now. And as usual, he's laughing about his losses. He's not the only happy member of our league, though, Tony. Look. Oh, you mean Kent? Yes, he seems to be quite taken with the charms of Millicent Faraday. I think they have an understanding. We can look forward to an engagement announcement any day. Look, they know we're talking about them. What a smile. Oh, she's like sunshine. Coming over to join us. You must take me in for some punch, Sir Percy. Uh, well, <laughs> with Kent holding your arm as he is, I'm afraid we'll have to drag him along too. What? Oh, no. <laughs> He's been monopolizing me all the evening. I didn't know you objected, my dear. I don't, really. But I want to make you jealous. It's part of being feminine. My mother told oh, me. Oh, I see. <laughs> I see. Now, come on, Kent. You and I can go and see how Colmstead is faring at hazard. By all means. I'm sure you'll excuse us, Millicent. 
take me? Yes, we will. Uh, what's your behavior, you two? Oh, isn't he wonderful? Uh, oh, to Terry Dewhurst? No, I mean Robert Kenton, you know it. Oh. Now, you mustn't tease me, Percy. Or I'll have my punch with old Lord Driscoll. Come. She was, as Tony had said, like a sunburst. But Kent wasn't. Three times during the evening, I could feel his hot glare boring into my back. He wasn't happy anymore. Neither was Cumstead. His face was tense when we passed the hazard table. His losses close to 10,000. What's the matter with our young men? None of them seem to know how to laugh anymore. <laughs> well, it might be the weather, you know. Seem to have a touch of lumbago myself. <laughs> You've always got a touch of something. And no wonder you're always so lazy. <laughs> oh, Blakeney, I've been looking for you. Yeah, excuse me, Millicent, but the gentlemen in the library have a trick that uh, Blakeney simply must see. Do you mind? Uh, no, not at all. He was just beginning to bore me. And Robert's been frowning, so I'd better go to him. You needn't take me. Goodbye. Goodbye. What is it, Tony? Saunders just rode in from Dover. Word from France, yes. Travelers police have arrested the Duke de Farigny and his family. Where? When? Yesterday at Nantes. They'll be brought before the tribunal there tomorrow and tried. Of course, they'll be convicted of every conceivable crime without evidence. Naturally. Tomorrow, eh? Well, that means they'll be transported to Paris and the guillotine the day after. Round up our men. Quietly, unobtrusively. If we leave immediately, we should manage to get to the village of Terrier by tomorrow night. Oh, why Terrier? Because Terrier is on the road from Nantes to Paris. A good place to ambush their guard and liberate the Duke and his family. You go that way. I'll go this. I hope our luck is better this time than last. Yes, I hope so, too. moment, Marius Goring returns as the Scarlet Pimpernel. Goring as the Scarlet Pimpernel. We rode hard through the night and reached the coast, then crossed the channel and split up on the French coast with arrangements to rendezvous at a roadside hostelry near Terrier. By midnight, we were all assembled in a room above the inn. Gentlemen, 
As you've just heard from Saunders, the Duke de Farigny and his family were today tried and sentenced to death by the French Tribunal at Nantes. Whether or not that sentence will be executed, however, depends on us. The Duke's party will be transported by carriage, guarded by approximately 30 of Chauvelin's best troops. Since there are 11 of us, we will need the element of surprise as an ally. What time tomorrow do you think they should reach here? About dusk, if they leave at sunrise. That's one reason for picking this spot. Uh, you seem to have a question, Counselor. Just wondering about the point of attack. There's a fork in the road about three kilometers past the town. There's also an old house now used as a guardhouse. About half a dozen soldiers stationed there. Well, we'll overpower them early tomorrow afternoon and replace them with our own men. We have a few extra uniforms to make up for what they lack. As a matter of routine, they will probably stop there to gossip and water the horses. I'll give you individual assignments tomorrow. There were only three soldiers at the guard post the next day, and we took it over in a matter of seconds. Lookouts went up each fork of the road, and I sent Saunders into the town to watch for any possibility of trouble from that quarter. The lookouts were posted on heights to enable them to signal us, except for Saunders, who would have to ride in with news. As dusk approached, we waited tensely. Then a signal came. Blakeney, look, Kent, that hill up the left fork. Four, five, six, seven... Each wave of the arm means five men? Yes. They're 35 strong, a kilometer off. And what? A signal from the right fork lookout, too. Three, four, five. Another 25, coming from two ways. Quickly, men. Into the brushwood of the sides of the road. Abandon the guard post. Wait for my signal before starting any attack. Right. Look, horse coming in from town, riding hard. It's Saunders. Troops! Troops coming from the town! How many soldiers? Two detachments. About 50. Well, gentlemen, they're coming at us from three directions. The odds are ten to one. We're trapped. But we still make our try. How did this happen? How can our luck be so cursed? It isn't our luck, Tony. Luck had nothing to do with this. We've been betrayed. Sold out. But by whom? Nobody knew our plan? Nobody but... Our own men? Yes, Tony. One of our own men. Well, we'd better get a cover with the others. Saunders, huh? take your horse over to that side. Put him in the gully with the others. Right. Up, boy. Come on, Tony. Who, Blakeney? I don't know. Maybe none of us will ever know. Because if he's made his bargain well, he may be the only one of us who doesn't die this evening. moment, Marius Goring returns as the Scarlet Pimpernel.
And now, Marius Goring as the Scarlet Pimpernel. Our men were deployed on either side of the guard post that nestled in the fork of the road, using the natural drainage dishes for cover. Not one voice was raised to suggest retreat or abandonment of our rescue attempt. And yet, somewhere among us was a traitor. Stay undercover, men, and don't reveal yourselves or fire unless you are fired upon directly. Ignore any fire that isn't right in your direction. Now, I can't repeat this. Just watch for a chance to seize the carriage. All understood? Right. Saunders. Here. Come with Tony and me. Hurry. Where to? The horses. What's our move? Look, twilight's coming. Less than a dozen of us. We don't stand a chance against more than a hundred. So maybe we can avoid fighting them. How? By getting them to fight each other. They'll be coming to that guard post from three different directions. Tony. You cut back through here, under cover of the woods, and circle in behind the group approaching from the left fork. Saunders, you do the same with the group approaching from the right fork. I'll get to the rear of the group coming from the town. Clear? Yes. Now, as you approach the crossroads, spur your mounts. Ride to the front of your group, quickly, so that each one of us comes to the crossroad at the head of his group. The men you pass will only see you from the back as you ride by. And you won't be suspect, even if they are all known to each other. You mean you and Saunders and I should each be at the head of a force when we converge on the guard post? Exactly. And as we do, we charge towards each other and open fire. Order the groups forward. But why should they fire on each other? Because they're expecting a fight from a Saunders. Each unit will think the other two units are made up of our men and that they have been trapped. What a magnificent gamble. Then mount up. It was a gamble, all right. <laughs> a mad, desperate gamble. I rode hard until I could see the mounted troops from the town through the foliage. A fleeting glimpse. Their massed hoofbeats covered the sound of my mount, and I cut out of the brushwood and into the road behind them. If the others had managed as well, we'd be just in the nick of time. I spurred my mount, shot along the side of the ragged column, and just as the crossroad came into sight, I reached the head of the group, saw Tony and Saunders come riding to the fore of their assigned units. I cocked my gun. There they are, comrades! Charge! Charge! Each of our opening shots hit. Riders tumbled, and the crossroad became a melee of frightened horses and men. They fired wildly into their own ranks at random, confused, unable to tell friend from foe. Then they started to break in the treat. I dropped from my horse, dived for the ditch. Tony and Saunders broke through and scrambled after me. All right, men. Open fire from this side. Look at the beggar's tail. What a sight. They'll slaughter each other in this fight. We won't be here to see it. Either of you sight the carriage. No. Then let's go and look for it. Stay low, undercover, until we're clear of this. Right. Keep firing, men, till they disperse. Keep firing. <laughs> Each man nodded grimly as we passed the word, keeping intent eyes on the road. We got clear and started our search. Then night came. There was no sight or sign of the carriage we had come to claim. It was almost midnight when we made our way back to an agreed assembly point. Two men 
were missing. Kalmstead and Kent. The rendezvous this time was a stone quarry near an old and unused wagon road. It had been fitted out by us for use in emergencies, with provisions and torches and firewood. And as we approached, we could smell the smoke of a wood fire. Somebody's there, all right. Frankly! Yes? Right over toward me, will you? Up, boy. Well, what? Moon hits the side of the quarry there. Something hidden in those small trees. Yes. Yes, I see what you mean. Why, it looks like... Blakely, it's a carriage, and there's only one carriage that could logically be here. Coomstead or Kent went after the carriage and the Duke and his family. Perhaps both of them turned the trick together. We'll soon know. Come on. Up, boy. We rode forward to the quarry, and the way was clear. We dismounted and went into a most welcome sight. Stretched out on pallets and sleeping the sleep of exhausted people with the Duke de Farini and his wife and two children. And stretched out by the fire with a lazy smile was Arthur Calmstead. Well, wherever you chaps been, I'd about given you up. Oh, Calmstead, I could kiss you. <laughs> so could I. All offers duly noted and rejected. <laughs> that was quite a lot of shooting earlier this evening. Uh, all of you all right? All except one, Calmstead. Who? All here but Kent? That's right. Did you see him? No. Somebody's coming. All right, Kent. Put the gun down. Oh, it's you. Well, what's everybody so quiet about? Oh, the Duke and the family. Thank heaven you got them. It's no use, Kent. What? What's no use? When are your friends coming? What friends? Am I being accused of something? We were betrayed by one of our own today, Kent. Why did you run? Where did you go? I'll tell you where. To look for those people sleeping on the floor. Because no carriage passed me and the spur I was on was the best carriage road from Nantes. But when I went back, I ran into a band of eight soldiers. I lost them less than two hours ago. Then I came back here on a lame horse. Stop lying, Kent. You betrayed us because you're jealous of Blakeney, because of Millicent. Jealous of Blakeney? Are you mad? He's a lifelong friend. I get angry with her whenever she leaves me to spend time with anybody. Personally, I don't want to listen to this. We all know what happened. Just a minute, Comstead. Where are you going? Away from the smell of his story. To get some air. Why, you... No, Kent. Grab him. Let me go. I, I never betrayed you. That's the truth, gentlemen. He never did. Did he, Comstead? Never what do you mean? He ran into an advance guard of eight men going before that carriage. Hmm? Yet you found it guarded by only half as many. If the Republic sent a hundred troops to ambush us, they certainly kept the carriage well protected. Are you mad, Blakely? You know those people, don't you? They visited England, been at court? Yes, and when you ran today, you did so because you thought we'd be finished at the crossroads. When we weren't, you were given the carriage and these people to bring here to bait one last trap. Because it wasn't certain we'd all come here unless the word could be passed that they had been rescued and were safe. But, uh, I, I don't Oh, Blakely, don't be a fool. There's your traitor. I'm going out. No, you're not. That urge to go out as soon as Kent came in confirmed what I thought. We are all here now, every one of us. And so you're going out to give a signal, aren't you? Look! No. I'd rather listen. 
few months ago, you sold the last of your land. You were without funds. But ever since then, after every journey to France, you've gambled and lost thousands of pounds. Where did you get that money, Counselor? How much gold do you have on you now? Let me out of here! You can't go out like that! I'm sorry, Blakeney. He almost had his gun turned on you. I had to do it. It's all right, Kent. Wherever his friends are, they're not too close. Probably back in the hills waiting for a signal. They won't get it now. We'll move out right away. In a moment, Marius Goring returns as the Scarlet Pimpernel. Goring as the Scarlet Pimpernel. So, Coomstead has gone to the colonies to live. Yes, so they say. A dreadful bore, you know. All sorts of savages. Oh, you're just so lazy. Do you know something, Percy? I believe that Robert is jealous of you. Because I like you. <laughs> oh, don't be a silly goose. I thought so once, too. You did? Yes, I did. <laughs> Gave me quite a turn for a moment, too. Actually, I thought I'd die from it. <laughs> oh, Percy, you're such a clown. Adventures of the Scarlet Pimpernel, starring Marius Goring, with music composed and conducted by Sidney Torch. Produced by Harry Allen Towers.